Immigration Advocates Network podcast. Hi, this is Natalie Sullivan, the director of the Immigration Advocates Network, and we are joined today by Benita Jen for a podcast on Padilla versus Kentucky. Benita Jen is the attorney and co-director of the Immigrant Defense Project. IDP works to minimize the harsh and disproportionate immigration consequences of contact with the criminal justice system by educating immigrants, their defense attorneys, and other advocates, and works to transform unjust deportation laws through impact litigation and support for community-based advocacy. IDP also assists public defender offices to institutionalize immigration advice into their practice. Since early 2010, Ms. Jen has served as an expert in several nationwide discussions on the Padilla case. Thank you for joining me today, Benita. Thank you, Natalie. Benita, can you tell us the facts and issues that existed in the Padilla case? Sure. Uh, so in Padilla v. Kentucky, uh, the Padilla v. Kentucky case was about uh, Mr. Jose Padilla, who was a lawful permanent resident, had come to the U.S. and had a green card for 40 years. He had served in the U.S. military during Vietnam. His family was in the U.S., and Mr. Padilla was also a commercial truck driver. He was stopped as he was driving through Kentucky, and a large amount of marijuana was found in his truck. He was facing drug charges, and his criminal defense attorney advised him that he didn't have to worry about deportation because he had been in the U.S. for such a long time. He relied on this advice. He pled guilty to a drug trafficking charge, and as most of us know, a drug charge subjects immigrants to deportation. And Mr. Padilla himself not only faced deportation as a result of that conviction, but he faced mandatory deportation where he wouldn't be able to apply for relief like cancellation of removal that would normally be available to lawful permanent residents. In this case, the Supreme Court was considering whether the defense attorneys misadvising Mr. Padilla about immigration consequences violated his right to effective assistance of counsel under the Sixth Amendment. And the court also considered whether defense counsel have an affirmative duty to advise about immigration consequences under the Sixth Amendment. And what was the holding in Padilla, and how does it affect non-citizens facing criminal charges? The Supreme Court in Padilla v. Kentucky held that a criminal defense attorney has a duty, an affirmative duty, under the Sixth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution to correctly, affirmatively advise clients of immigration consequences of their criminal charges and of their guilty pleas. Failure to advise in this way means that the defense attorneys fail to provide effective assistance of counsel. So, you know, this is one of the most important decisions about uh, effective assistance of counsel that have uh, that's come out from the Supreme Court you know, I think in decades, and especially for immigrants who are facing criminal charges, it's extremely important. You know, we know that while some immigrants are aware of immigration consequences while they're facing criminal charges, many are not. And as a result, prior to Padilla, deportation has been not only a harsh uh, second punishment for immigrants with convictions, but it's also been a surprise punishment. Um, you know, we hear all the time from people who said, if I had only known that this, a guilty plea would result in deportation, I would never have pled guilty. So for immigrants facing criminal charges, Padilla is an extremely important case. 
And how have defense counsel reacted to this case, and how has it changed uh, their practice and the duties that they have when defending non-citizens? So this decision has really sent waves through the criminal defense community, I think, for several reasons. Um, well, first, many defense attorneys had already been advising their clients of immigration consequences for years. And several public defender offices, as an example, already had immigration units or had designated immigration experts within their offices to train and consult with their attorneys on immigration issues. And I think that's really important because the Supreme Court's decision, in fact, was based largely on a recognition that the professional norms of the criminal defense community, of criminal defense practice, have for years called for investigating clients' immigration status and advising them of the consequences of their cases. So, you know, this decision or the the um, principles underlying the decision isn't something that came out of the blue. But the fact is that a lot of defense attorneys don't understand about immigration law and the criminal justice community as a whole does need to and, and is stepping up to better institutionalize this knowledge and to institutionalize protocols for representing immigrant clients. Um, you know, this includes the public defender community, conflict and other court-appointed attorneys, the private bar, and solo practitioners themselves, you know, some of whom have more resources than others. Um, and I think the other uh, thing is that prior to Padilla, many courts held that while affirmative misadvice was ineffective assistance of counsel, failure to advise was not. So for some defense attorneys, that type of um, those cases had created a perverse incentive to keep silent, right, to avoid an ineffective assistance finding. And in Padilla, the Supreme Court made clear that that was an incorrect interpretation of the Sixth Amendment. And so now all defense attorneys must learn how to identify whether their client is a non-citizen, red flag offenses that could have negative immigration consequences, and learn how to find the particular consequences to, to their clients. And turning to the role of criminal court judges, um, IDP recently issued an advisory warning that criminal court judges should not inquire into the immigration status or citizenship of a defendant who's appearing before them. Can you discuss the reason for this advisory and also talk in practical terms about how Padilla has changed the role of, of uh, criminal court judges? Sure. Uh, so judges in criminal cases do have an important role in ensuring that immigrants receive effective assistance of counsel and in making sure that criminal defense attorneys have the resources and opportunities to provide the required advice. But in the end, the duty lies with the defense attorney. So what are judges supposed to do, you know, is, is the question that a lot of judges are grappling with. And some judges have taken it upon themselves to ask about immigration status. Sometimes this comes from a true desire to make sure that the person appearing before them is properly informed of immigration consequences, but the problem is, and why the reason that we issued this advisory, is that in reality, asking about citizenship or immigration status is not appropriate, and it can actually have a negative impact on the criminal proceeding and on the person's rights. And it's not necessary for judges to discharge their duty. So if a judge does not ask about citizenship status or about immigration status, then that judge can avoid compelling defendants to incriminate themselves in violation of the Fifth Amendment, um, and by not asking about status, it also upholds their obligations of, impartial, of impartiality and neutrality. It protects confidentiality and attorney-client privilege. And all of that is really important to making sure that when a person is facing criminal charges, they can, number one, have open and honest communication with their defense counsel about immigration status, and two, that they 
are confident that the criminal uh, proceeding and, and the judge is being fair and impartial and not judging them on the criminal charges because of their immigration status. So, you know, those are the main reasons, some of the reasons why judges shouldn't ask about status. And in fact, some states even prohibit judges from asking about immigration or citizenship status. But what judges can do is judges can ensure that defense counsel understands they have this duty. Judges can support the defense community's efforts to get resources for immigration experts. And something that I think is very important is judges can make sure that a defendant appearing before them and that defense counsel have additional time when they need it to have these discussions. Um, you know, uh, criminal cases often, the proceedings often happen very, very quickly. And it may take judges, particularly in the years right after Padilla, to kind of slow them down a little bit. And if a person needs more time to talk to their attorney about immigration uh, status or immigration consequences, they should have that time and not be required to plead, you know, very quickly five minutes after they, they met their attorney, which is often what happens in criminal cases. As we know, a large number of individuals who enter a plea or are convicted of uh, criminal offenses will ultimately appear in removal proceedings before immigration judges. So to what extent, if any, does the holding in Padilla affect cases for non-citizens in removal proceedings by creating procedural or other remedies? Sure. So immigrants who are in removal proceedings where the conviction is at issue, uh, and this could be because they're a lawful permanent resident who's deportable for the conviction or someone who's either a lawful permanent resident or undocumented whose ability to apply for or get relief from removal is impacted by the conviction, they need to look very carefully at their underlying criminal case. Were they advised of the immigration consequences before they pled guilty or were convicted? And if they weren't, then consider trying to get post-conviction relief, asking the criminal court to vacate their conviction on the basis that they didn't receive effective assistance of counsel. Uh, there are a couple things to remember for that, number one, um, getting a conviction vacated doesn't necessarily mean that the conviction goes away. It will generally mean that the person is once again facing those charges, but now with the knowledge and proper advice about the actual penalty or consequences, uh, they can make an informed decision on what to do. Now, this might result in the person then going to trial and being convicted of the same offense, being convicted of a different offense, perhaps being acquitted, or perhaps being able to negotiate a different plea that, um, that uh, in the court's words, serves the interests of justice and also prevent deportation. Uh, the second thing to remember is that until the conviction is actually vacated, the conviction remains. So a removal case will not necessarily go away just because a person uh, is seeking post-conviction relief, but the person or their attorney can ask an immigration judge to adjourn the case to give the person a chance to go back uh, to fight that underlying uh, criminal case. And is the holding of Padilla retroactive, and if so, to what extent? That's I, I think that's a really important issue because immigrants who pled guilty to offenses before Padilla without being advised of immigration consequences by their criminal defense attorneys, are now going back to court to try to vacate their guilty pleas. You know, it's not fair that um, that convictions or guilty pleas that happened in violation of the Constitution should be allowed not only to stand, but then to have this trickle-down effect of deportation. Um, 
So, you know, and I think that the decision itself provides really strong support that the decision is retroactive. In his majority, in his decision, Justice Stevens even referred to um, that he doesn't expect there to be a floodgate of post-conviction relief um, uh, after Padilla, um, and also it was pretty clear, I think, that uh, the court was using um, a Strickland analysis of an effective assistance of counsel, <clears throat> excuse me, and was not um, was not issuing a new rule. The court was merely applying the, you know, uh, uh, decades-old rule of uh, what it takes to uh, receive effective assistance of counsel and when can someone go back, <clears throat> excuse me, if uh, when that right is violated and not issuing a new rule. So I think it's clearly retroactive. However, courts are now grappling with this issue, and decisions have gone in both directions. You know, many courts have said, yes, clearly it's retroactive, and some um, courts have said, no, it's not retroactive. So I think if this is something that's going to take some time for courts to, um, for all of this to kind of, I guess, percolate through the lower and higher level courts. And do you see the holding in Padilla as supporting a position that non-citizens should be provided with counsel in immigration proceedings? I think that the court in its decision was very clear that deportation is a very serious penalty. It's often harsher and more important to defendants than even jail sentences. Um, now, while the court didn't say that deportation is the equivalent of a criminal sanction or punishment per se, I think that its reasoning certainly leaves the door open for looking at the importance of providing counsel and ensuring the right to counsel in immigration proceedings. You know, so many people and an overwhelming majority of people in detention fight their cases without lawyers. There's, you know, clear um, uh, clear studies showing that having a lawyer or not having a lawyer impacts the results of the case, uh, the outcome of the case, and the result for an immigrant who's facing deportation is very, very serious. You know, the person can be facing life exile, permanent separation from family, um, can be facing... Uh, a long time in, Im- in immigration detention, and I think that the reasoning behind Padilla and the court's discussion about the seriousness of deportation as a as a penalty provides, um, you know, uh, starts to leave open the door for more advocacy in this area. And as a result of Padilla, what kind of tips would you offer to advocates who are representing non-citizens with criminal convictions? Um, I think any time an immigrant advocate is representing someone who has a criminal conviction, they need to find out what happened in the underlying criminal case, where the criminal case is impacting the deportation or the immigration case or immigration application. Find out, did the person receive advice about immigration consequences in the underlying case? And if the person did not, uh, research, investigate whether there's a basis to vacate that case um, so that uh, the person excuse me, so the person actually has a chance, not only in the criminal case, to make decisions um, with full effective with effective assistance and with the full knowledge that they need, but then also to be able to have a fighting chance in immigration court. Now, one thing to remember with that is that um, when, a, when a, a person is going back to vacate their case or wants to vacate their case, there will be procedural obstacles. So every jurisdiction has its own limits with regard to the avenues um, that are available to go back for post-conviction relief. Time limits, um, you know, uh, and in every case, the person would have to show prejudice that 
as a result of not receiving the Padilla advisal, they were prejudiced in their criminal case. Um, so just because a person wasn't advised doesn't mean that they're that they can always get their criminal case vacated. Um, but it's an important avenue for immigration attorneys now to be looking at. And it's, it's especially important because for so many people, having a conviction can mean mandatory deportation. And in so many cases, uh, there's very little that can be done on a legal level uh, with immigration law being so harsh that sometimes the only thing that a person can do is try to get rid of their conviction. And now Padilla provides that opportunity for some people. And what work is the Immigrant Defense Project engaging in now to disseminate information about the holding in Padilla? We've been working largely with our partners in the Defending Immigrants Partnership, including the National Immigration Project of the National Lawyers Guild in Boston and the Immigrant Legal Resource Center in uh, California and San Francisco. We've been we've issued uh, several advisories for uh, defense attorneys um, about uh, the impact of Padilla and what it means for their practice. We've uh, been consulting with public, with individual public defenders and immigration, and I'm sorry, immigration and criminal defense attorneys on this. Uh, we're also working with public defender offices to be able to institutionalize the work of Padilla, or to be able to institutionalize immigration advisal uh, in their daily practices. Um, so, you know, a lot of the work has just been, you know, it, it's been about getting the word out because Im- both immigration attorneys and criminal defense attorneys need to know what Padilla requires and how Padilla can be used to better protect the rights of their clients in whichever form, immigration or criminal. Benita, thank you so much for this information. I'd like to point Ian members to resources available on the Immigrant Defense Project website. And I'd also like to point Ian members to the IDP hotline that's been set up for immigration advocates and criminal defense attorneys. That hotline is available to advocates and defense attorneys across the country, and the number is 212-725-6422. I'd also like to point Ian members to resources available from the Defending Immigrants Partnership at www.defendingimmigrants.org which is a website that's set up with resources for public defenders. Additionally, the Immigration Advocates Network has a folder with resources on Padilla versus Kentucky in our Immigration and Crimes Library. And lastly, I'd like to invite EN members to participate in the EN Community Forum on these and other issues. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast and for your continuing support of the Immigration Advocates Network.